I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Thursday afternoon here from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Also here, my good friend, fellow University of Tennessee alumni. We can both now mm. officially say that the first time on this very program, two alums in the house uh, for the Vols. And what did you hear that? Oh, it's another Tennessee miss from deep. Will Warren, another clank from the Tennessee Volunteers as we get started here. How are you, sir? Good. Um, You know, I had a bit and then I lost it. And that's just how it goes this time of year. I'm trying to remember what my joke was. Um, Oh, it's that, you know, yeah, Joe Milton can throw his little orange 100 yards or whatever. But whenever he's ready to compare who can throw a honey crisp apple farther, (laughs) it's good in the office, Joe. Um, how was the apple status? I remember you you got a bunch of apples. Wasn't it around this time to, a year yeah. ago? Or my beloved apple truck did come yes. down from Michigan or uh, from West Michigan this year to deliver, and so I got a. I, I, I held myself with some restraint this year. I got just a ten pound box this year compared to the twenty pounder last year, because we had apples for like six weeks in the fridge. And this year is they were gone in about three. But how many apples is ten pounds roughly? really depends on your variety that this mm. is actually deviating into some territory i didn't expect to cover but you know if you're getting those macintoshes you know maybe the galas that are a little smaller mm-hmm. you can probably squeeze out like three to a pound i would say so like if you went to kroger mm-hmm. picked out a couple honeycrisp or like the bigger ones you're probably getting to a pound or not a little above right there mm-hmm. so you can the smaller ones obviously you can get more for your value but it's going to end up being the same amount of apple regardless so hmm Okay. I like it. I like it. Are you a peanut butter apple person or do you just like, or do you cut them up or you just mm-hmm. bite into the apple? Just bite into the apple. Occasionally, very occasionally. Uh, I'll do the little caramel dip thing, mm. which is, which is very good. I would admit, but it's a lot of sugar and I don't really like, I don't feel great after I eat a lot of sugar. So I try and stay away from it. What's uh, your... This is a very old man thing to say, but it's true. Hey, we're both in our, well, I'm in my thirties. Are you in your thirties yet? I'm no, edging to my thirties. I'm, I'm base. I'm close to it. One, one more year. Yeah, once you're married and settled in and working full time and doing all that, it's just 30s and late 20s are basically the same. We're we're basically on the same timeline. <laughs> well, we're washed men uh, here in East Tennessee. Uh, what was the the coolest thing you got for Christmas, or got somebody else for Christmas this year? Will uh, coolest thing I got for Christmas? I got this uh, desk via my mom. I put it together mm. yesterday. Very exciting. Little L shaped, which I've mm. never owned before. Uh, my amazing wife got me a massage gun, 
but unfortunately the battery in it appears to have broken after one use. <laughs> so we have to go exchange it, but still a wonderful gift to get. I, I love massage guns. So, so this is hilarious. Fun. Will my wife and I both got massage guns for Christmas from wow, other people. Yeah. Yeah, we both have one now that we're just going to, I guess, another sign that we're washed in our 30s. We're just going to take turns uh, hitting each other with the <laughs> massage gun. Um, but I see it ha I see it all over. I haven't used it because I see it over at the PT uh, facility that I go to for my foot. And I see people doing it, but they've not done that to me yet. I've never never gotten the, the foot uh, beater, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Never, <laughs> never gotten it. My, my grandfather had, um, and still does, I got to go take it from his house. He mm -hmm. had uh, one of the, it's not a gun, but it's like a foot massager that you can turn on and it's heated and you just mm -hmm. like run it under your computer desk. And whenever I would like, when I, whenever they're like a year ago, I used it and I was like, I cannot believe I, I mean, if I did this all day, I think I'd be the happiest person alive. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, really good quirks uh, of living in uh, 2022, I suppose. Um, what's not really good is the kentucky wildcats well we have to start here we have to start with severe wheeler maybe not being the right guy for kentucky you sent me that quote from a coach openly talking about whether or not severe wheeler is uh, a right the right fit for uh this kentucky team if he's helping them uh they go down to missouri uh to open sec play on uh wednesday um man what what's going on with Kentucky and are how concerned are you with Kentucky just really not being very good at all this year? Honestly, I mean, we could even go further. Missouri blew these guys out. Mm. Like, uh, it's weird to say this about a game Kentucky lost by 14, but I mean, I'm sure you watched it. it that 14 doesn't feel representative mm -hmm. of the result. That felt like a 20 to 25 point loss. Um, I... I'm very alarmed by what they've got going on because, you know, it, it was kind of weird. You know, when we were talking about the, his name is Mitch Barnhart, right? Their athletic mm -hmm. director. When we were talking about his comments about football school versus basketball school back in the summer, mm -hmm. spring, whenever that whole debacle happened, um, we were kind of both like, you know, yeah, if you want to get pissed at Cal, you can get pissed at Cal, but you're not going to get anybody better and I think we were both kind of counting on them just kind of like, you know, yeah, the St. Peter's thing happened, but they're going to be like top 10 or whatever. Mm -hmm. again. And they very, I mean, like this is Kentucky. I really hesitate to hammer the nail in the coffin on Kentucky before they actually lose in the NCAA tournament, just because they've kind of earned that level of respect and, you know, wait patience. But I mean, I have a hard time naming aside from the obvious COVID year a November and December that felt less successful for UK. Cause like, so if you mm. go and look at it right now, wh what would you say is their best win? Cause I mean, it's probably Michigan. I was going to say that makes the most sense. It's either Michigan or likely Ivy league winner Yale. And I don't think Michigan's making the tournament and Yale is probably a 12 seed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and it's, not like Kentucky, it's not like Kentucky didn't schedule well, right? Like they had mm. some more key opponents, but you know, the Michigan state double overtime loss looked a lot better a month ago before Michigan state sort of revealed themselves to be not good. Um, the Gonzaga road loss, you can excuse that, but you really needed to get one at some point. And so you go over on MSU, Gonzaga, UCLA, 
you can't control that Michigan came in under expectation. I get that. But despite all of that, you've got all these other pretty unimpressive performances littered in. I mean, you remember the Bellarmine game where they were trailing with 12 minutes yep. to go. They struggled mightily against Yale for a while. Florida A&M. Florida A&M came out and put up 1.15 points per possession on Kentucky. That is unacceptable. And so it all kind of led to, you know, my man, uh, I don't know if it's, I'm never sure of the pronunciation here. It's either Jordan Majewski or Jordan Majewski, and I'm probably thinking it's Majewski. Mm. Uh, amazing basketball writer, staring at the floorboards.wordpress.com if you're unfamiliar. Um he used to do stuff for Action Network. But mm-hmm. he said yesterday, you know, I've watched several games of both teams, and Missouri just looks like the much more complete team right now. And how absolutely insane is that to say about, you know, Missouri, a team that basically overhauled their entire roster, replenished it with mid-majors, had a new coach, you know, really limited time to get this thing rolling. And they look like much more complete, much more confident, and much more correctly managed and put together than a Kentucky team with like a lottery pick on it, Casey Wallace, the returning player of the year in Oscar Sheboy, 20-point mid-major scorer in Antonio Reeves, a, you know, breakout candidate supposedly, and Jacob Toppin. I mean, you want to believe that the turnaround is coming, right? Like eventually Kentucky's going to lock into place. I don't want to believe personally, but, you know, mm-hmm. generally don't want to put the nail in the coffin too early. But C.J. Frederick got hurt last night. They... C.J. Frederick, I mean, not like a great player necessarily, but a shooter and something mm-hmm. Kentucky needs. Like, you're looking at a roster, you know, like they are still trying to figure out who they want to play. Jacob Toppin has been a god-awful shooter this year, 14% from deep. Sheboy cannot shoot. Mm-hmm. So in 2022, why would you play Toppin and Sheboy together? You can't have multiple non-shooters on the court at the same time. If Frederick is gone... I mean, they were playing Adu Tiro, Thero, whatever it is, last night. I was like, okay, maybe this works. But why are you pulling this guy out of the mothball closet on December 28th? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, I've been fooled before. In, in the 2017-18 year where UK won the SEC title uh, when they beat UT, I was thinking at that, mid, that New Year's Eve break, basically, you know, after they lost to UCLA, this is not a good team. Kevin Knox is not good. Shy Gilgis Alexander is the one guy on this team that seems like he can do anything. PJ Washington hasn't figured it out yet. And they ended up getting it together. But it's strange to me watching them play and seeing like, you know, Shibwe has come in well under what he was a year ago. And whether that's teams adjusting to that style, you know, forcing the ball out of his hands and making others take shots. He's getting doubled a lot more, I've noticed. And Tennessee seemed to have started that trend a little bit last year, and St. Peter's as well. Um, the The plan is just like if you force a non Sheboy player to beat you, you're either, you know, counting on Casey Wallace not having a supernova game, which is that's not going to happen all the time, or that one of the role players turns up, which has happened infrequently. So, I don't know, man. This is the lowest I felt on a Kentucky team aside from the COVID year, probably since that Nerlens Noel squad. And I don't know, you you look for the turnaround and it can happen, but it just seems so far away right now. And it's weird, you know, they're 13th in Ken Palm, but they don't look like 13th, do, do they? No, this looks like a one and done in the tournament. Like this does not feel like a deep tournament run type of team. And I, I wonder too, because the talent, it's not a talent thing. And they have a bunch no, of uh, talent coming of talent. in next year's class too. That you're like, all right, it's not a talent thing. It's not even a, like a scheme thing because like they've adjusted a lot. They're just not 
playing collectively in a way that gives you any hope if you're a Kentucky fan where you're like this is just a bunch of talented pieces that aren't working and that's like the coach's job is to figure out a way to do this it is Rick Barnes's job to figure out a way to scrape out wins when Josiah Jordan James is not available like you just have to adapt and win these games not get blown out by Mizzou to start FCC play like that's just unacceptable for Kentucky um I don't know I've, I've started to think I'm like if they did move on from Cal after this year if they got bounced in the first round again um in embarrassing fashion mm-hmm. i think kentucky is one of a couple jobs where the expectations can be absolutely insane like i think it's oh, okay yeah. that they can still do that and i think that's fine largely i mean they have the history they're mm-hmm. a blue blood you're and you know not only are you a historic blue blood you've remained a blue blood over the last 25 years like you can't say the same about indiana for example mm. or really ucla for a large chunk of that time even though they're back on top now uh i mean I, well can i throw the two names who i think that they'll target if they do yeah so kenny Payne is one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well speaking of we get the kenny Payne versus calipari game on new year's eve uh, they play at noon on saturday uh thank god that there are other things happening Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say. No, no one should be watching that game. Some real, and which is sad because I like I want a reason to watch Louisville, Kentucky. That should be a fun, interesting mm-hmm. game. That should be a fun atmosphere, and it's just not. It's gonna be slop. Um, my gut tells me it's gonna be like either Nato to Bruce Pearl. If they like one of those two are gonna look at it and go, we've maximized what we can do at uh, our Alabama schools and give us Kentucky resources and we can be perennial just title contenders nate yes bruce no uh it Nate's doesn't the seem one i like picked like i think nate oates is the next kentucky coach see i i don't know if it'll be oates but i i mean you really do look at that job as like basically nobody under 60 is off limits <laughs> i mean like really you can basically really like kelvin sampson's not going to take it barnes mm-hmm. wouldn't take it and probably like bill self wouldn't take that job no and then beyond that, I mean, it really is like a huge pile of questions. Like, I mean, like, would Dan Hurley say yes? I would kind of think so. Yeah. Would Nick Cronin say yes? Apologies yeah, to the UConn fans. Get Will Warren, they, uh, UConn's good again for the first time in a decade. And Will's like, let me take your coach away. Let me immediately. <laughs> no, Dan Hurley's staying there for a while, for sure. But, I mean, like, if Kentucky called, you're at least listening. That's, the, that's really the thing. Yeah um tennessee they survived uh against old miss on wednesday night uh old miss got out to an early lead where you're like oh god this is uh this is going to be one of those nights where um it was one of the those nights where tennessee could not score at all three total threes in this one uh the nice thing was uh old miss also couldn't shoot so that was nice and part of that was tennessee putting the clamps but also just the talent uh for the Rebs just not not on the same level. Uh, a big game from Jonas I do, um, which they needed uh, in a big way. I'm concerned that I'm like listening to other Tennessee writers talk about uh, what Triple J and you said we were texting and I've just been saying I'm like I think we're inching closer and closer to Triple J not playing again this season. That they're just gonna shut him down. Where it's like at some point you just have to be like this man is never gonna be hundred percent ready to go or trust the knee where the he's still thinking draft and stuff like that and you don't want to tear your acl or uh damage it because of just how careful it seems like no matter what they're going to have to be with james all year long it seems like they're going to have to be extremely careful with his knee 
And look, the Clippers do it every year with Kawhi Leonard. They have to be extremely careful. So maybe we we get that with uh, Josiah Jordan James, where it's like you're on a minutes restriction every night, um, no matter what for this season. You don't play twice in one week or something. I don't know. But the fact that he was not available again, even though he was uh, going through warmups and all that kind of stuff, where you're like, oh, he's going to play. And then it's like, nope, uh, Josiah Jordan James did not play. Um, it's clear that there is such a drop-off offensively when this man is not in the rotation versus when he's not. And Vescovy had a great game. Uh, I think he finished with 22 um, in this one. But, man, it's still – Julian Phillips is not comfortable enough to just kind of take charge at this point. I mean, he's a true freshman in that. But four points from him, um, they're going to play bigger, which scares me a lot too, is Barnes without Triple J. I mean, small balls out the window – uh, for a lot of this and we're just gonna try and out physical you and that is gonna be fine for the majority of sec play it's gonna win a lot of games but man i've seen this movie before come tournament time and it just kind of scares me that that's kind of where where they're headed right now but uh that's we have all the time in the world to get to how tennessee will fare in march what are your strong takeaways from opening night in sec play uh, I think everybody sucked except for Alabama. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Uh, well, I guess Missouri. Sorry, Missouri mm-hmm. had a great night, and that's like really good for them. Uh, but like, I, I don't know. I think last night's results are pretty emblematic of what it just always has been in SEC play, and generally most major conferences where it's mm-hmm. like, as long as your opponent doesn't truly like historically suck, like Georgia last year or South Carolina this season, it's going to be tough to win on the road. Conference mm-hmm. play on the road is difficult for a reason. Nobody comes out unblemished. Nobody comes out looking like roses all the time. Tennessee didn't shoot well. You know, Vescovy went three for seven. Everybody else went 0 for eight from deep. Uh, But Tennessee got to the rim a lot, which I was really pleased with. They really, I mean, after the first 10 minutes, I don't think they took many bad mid-range shots. Um, They, I mean, Ole Miss is a team that hammers the rim more than I think any other SEC squad. And they only got 15 attempts at the rim mm. and went seven for 15. And that's in a game where like a Waka barely played at all. You know, Euros was horrendous. And yeah, I mean, more or less Tennessee won the seven man rotation for the entire second half. So uh, I thought, you know, that's a pretty impressive performance uh, given the circumstances, given that James, James did warm up for the record. We should note that he's, mm. he's been fully warming up. Yeah, uh, for the last two games. So I think that means like people are starting to become more optimistic. He will play soon. When I ask around, it's just a matter of when. Um, the The problem, of course, is like Tennessee seems really committed, and then you know, I think Barnes is going to have to change this soon to starting games with both Ziggler on the bench and Plavsic in the lineup. I think you can do one of those two things, uh, preferably Ziggler off the bench. You cannot do both. Uh, because when you do both, that means you're starting out of lineup where it's either, you know, Vescovy or Key is your main ball handler. Uh, Phillips, a guy who's still kind of figuring out his game. Kamwa, who it's like, I, I feel like Olivier Kamwa, who has gotten a lot better this year, never has started a game well, like ever. Mm-hmm. He he is the ultimate, like, runs the first mile at half speed to get into, like, the mm. mood to go. That's that's his thing. And then you have Euros out there who was awful in last night's game and has mm-hmm. remained awful for a while. I think Tennessee's path forward is interesting because, I mean, eventually they will hit threes. At the same time last year, uh, last year's team was at 32.6% from deep. 
Uh, this year's team, 32.3%. Last year's team ended up being one of the hottest shooting teams in the nation over mm-hmm. the final two months. So I think that's still going to come. But a lot of these errors could be avoided by you got to give Adu more minutes, right? Mm-hmm. I think he has to be playing no less than 20 a night, if not 25. Uh, you probably need to up Meshach's minutes somehow even more because he's so dominant defensively. And you have to consider, and I don't love saying it, but you have to consider maybe moving Phillips to the bench for a little bit while he figures this out. I don't Mm. know that they will do that, but he's got to become more efficient offensively straight up. He's great at getting to the free throw line and everything else is just a huge question mark at this point. I, um, I don't think he ever put Ziegler back in. I think based on him going publicly after Euros, basic, uh, in a way where he's like, uh, just there's no place for that. He can't be doing that. And this was after the Arizona game, which I will say what got overlooked, the pearl clutching after Euros's T, that was a weak technical. Uh, well, yeah. It, but... That was a weak one, and he got mad, and he kind of bumped him and got in his face. But I'm like, that's never getting called in the NBA. That is one mm-hmm. of those where it was just an overzealous ref. And I was like, I don't, I don't look we can have our euros opinions and like his uh his fiery demeanor being too much sometimes but i was like i don't think that was an example of it i i don't think that really rubbed me the wrong way because he's having to like especially with those two specifically the two bigs for arizona with the amount of success that they have had to this point this year you need euros just kind of being that instigator in a way where you're trying to get in their heads a little bit you're trying to show that um it's not going to be easy for you you kind of attack oscar shibway the same kind of way uh with your physicality and what was interesting to me and when you're talking about moving euros to the bench and because i don't think barnes has ever put in ziggler back in the starting lineup i don't think that's happening which Uh, i I think that's fine as long as ziggler is playing 30 minutes a game anyway it doesn't really matter yeah but it's Um, a it's a deal of you can do one, but you can't do both. Mm-hmm. You can't both have Ziggler on the bench and Euros on the court because your lineups offensively are just going to be so much worse. But I also do don't think you could go with I do either. I don't think he solves it if you start him at the five with Kamwa and Ziegler on the bench. I don't think he really fits that mold. I don't know who you who would you start if you have to keep Ziggler off the bench. Who's the the five that you replace Euros with? Uh, you can make an argument for Meshack. Know, I, I think yeah, Meshack. Mm-hmm. It, it could be that you start combo at the five and mm-hmm. start small and, you know, try that for a game or two, see if it works. If it doesn't, you don't have to commit to it forever. And, you know, Rick Barnes generally does figure these things out by March. It's just he it, this is a pattern where it's like, you know, he is a great coach, but mm-hmm. it's like the 2018-19 team continuing to start Eve Pons for like for like 15 games after that should not have been happening. Um so I, I think like there's going to be a change. It's probably going to be Euros to the bench, given yesterday's agree, comments yeah. about you know giving Adu more first team reps. But as usual, I think it's just like Tennessee's evaluation as a team. I think they're great. I think they're a top five team. But the full evaluation still remains incomplete until you know one way or the other for sure what is going to happen with Josiah Jordan James. Yeah, um, but we'll see ultimately what happens there. I do think it was interesting. Like I had Jay Billis on uh, yesterday, and we were talking about Tennessee for a little bit. And one of the things he said that I hadn't really considered, and it's just like this is something that like Tennessee's floor is so high naturally mm-hmm. because the way college basketball is officiated now, Tennessee is one of the biggest benefactors because Tennessee is so physical 
night in, night out, that they're going to win a lot of games no matter what because this defense is so locked in and they're so physical because this is now a physical game where the whistles are not as strong and Tennessee is going to get away with a lot of aggressive defense and that is sustainable year over year but what it doesn't mean is like the offense like his thing was like you watch them it's not like the scheme's an issue they're taking a lot more threes this year he's just like they just don't have the shooters. Like, it's just like, I don't know what you do if you're Rick Barnes where you're like, I'm not certain that the guys you have are going to be good enough to have like a top 10, top 15 offense offensively. Like they're there defensively. I don't, I don't know. What do you think of that? I I would disagree that Tennessee doesn't have shooters. I mean, one of the the best ones sitting out right now, but well, well, maybe Vescovy is better, but um, I mean like Vescovy shot 41% from three last year. Mm-hmm. Ziegler was a 40% plus shooter in high school. Phillips, 38. I mean, Kamwa, Olivier Kamwa hit 45% of his threes a year ago. Mm-hmm. They have shooters. They're just, I mean, shooting variance is a real thing, whether talking heads want to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. And Tennessee's kind of seen the bad side of that on offense and the tremendous side of it on defense. No team is going to hold everybody to 21% from deep for a year. That more than anything kind of explains the results. Yeah, um, and I think we're already seeing Vescovy uh, turn around a little bit, and I think he's yeah. going to be uh, the one. I re- I think Tennessee has to, and I, I'm sure Barnes knows this. Is Tyreek Key has to be a bigger player? Like he has, yeah. like that's the that's maybe what flips this year this season from being like, oh, Tennessee can make a deeper run because Tyreek Key um, is going to be more of the score that he was at Indiana State, and he gets comfortable enough by March that he's someone they can count on for 15 to 20 a night when they need it. Uh, my one take on him, and then we'll move on. Uh, I think the worst thing that ever could have happened to him was the Gonzaga exhibition game where he scored 26. Because mm-hmm. I th- I think, like, I, I mean, going into the season, I think everybody's expectations for Key were really reasonable. Where it's just like, okay, if this guy's like a solid seventh man, that's what we want. Mm-hmm. And then he goes out and scores 26 against Gonzaga, and you're like, oh, this guy's going to score 18 a game. And the truth is probably somewhere in between 18 a game and seventh or eighth man. Yeah. And, and so I, I still think he can provide like low end starter level value. But I, just I think agree. Tennessee he's just was counting on more, more than that. Got to shoot more. I mean, yeah. he is the, and I like Kamo, I guess, but you think about it, he is the only player on the roster where when he takes a mid range jumper, you're like, that's fine. Not mm-hmm. upset about that. Everybody else are like, could you just take a three instead or mm-hmm. go to the rim? Um, Justin Moore might be back soon. Torres Achilles, obviously, last year. He'll be back at some point this season, which would be a big boost for Villanova. Um, what do you make of the potential of a Justin Moore return for Villanova this year? They just lost to UConn 74-66. Uh, um, Villanova obviously not having the type of year uh, many had hoped um, coming in to the season they beat st john's for uh neptune's uh first uh big east victory a few days ago um i don't know i don't know what to make of villanova and i don't know if a late season justin moore return actually changes what they can be this year what do you think i think it kind of does i mean uh, i i would be a big help i don't think it would make them into the villanova expected preseason but they would be better i mean it's. I, I wasn't ready to quit on Villanova at 2-5. and five. I think there's still life in there. They've played really well the last few games. That St. John's one was solid. I honestly was even more impressed with how they played against UConn despite shooting poorly from deep. 
they had a solid defensive game. I I was I, I I wasn't taken aback by it or anything, but I was like, you know what, Villanova, there's still some life in there. There's still some good stuff they can do. It's a bad defense, no rim protection at all, bad at rebounding. Um, the Pats' heads are falling off. Uh, but it's still Villanova in the sense like they're capable of having great shooting nights. They still never turn the ball over. And anytime you can add back Justin Moore to the equation, I think that's good. Um, Ken Palm has them finishing tied, tied for fifth in the Big East. Mm. But the pack from... Well, I, so there's kind of like... The, the main packs in the Big East this year, I'd say it's like four tiers. You got UConn, who's the runaway number one. Mm-hmm. You got that second tier group of contenders who are probably going to constitute the rest of the first four in Marquette, Xavier, Creighton. And then you've kind of got the questions pack where it's like there's Villanova, there's Providence, there's St. John's, there's Seton Hall, there's Butler. These are all like solid to good teams who have giant flaws, but on the right night could probably beat anyone from that second pack, and on the really great night could potentially beat UConn. Villanova kind of belongs to that group to me, where it's like they could break loose and you know, sort of stay, establish themselves among that group. Like You still have Eric Dixon, you still have Caleb Daniels, both of whom are having solid years. I don't know, I'm just not ready to give up on them. I, and once, once it fully flips to Big East play, anything really can happen. For sure. And then we should also mention they beat a good Marquette team. Uh, yes. So I think there is some reason for optimism. I think uh, Neptune, I think, will be okay here at uh, Villanova. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that I don't think is going to be okay, and I think Arkansas is in a little trouble here with Smith uh, being out for the foreseeable future. Um, they've been destroyed with the injury bug to this point this year. I think you and I were on this where it's like they were probably the most talented SEC team coming into this year. It just seems like injuries are going to define the this 2022-2023 Arkansas team. Do you still think that they can be the best in the SEC, or do you think too much has piled up here where you're like, I just I don't think they can do it with their personnel they have available? The, the, path, to them, the path to them winning the SEC, it's kind of difficult to envision in the sense of and honestly, I hate to be rude, but for the one of this is one of the least watchable teams in America. So it's already a really bad outcome for them to lose Trevon Brazil and then to lose Nick. Like I don't know if Nick Smith is fully lost, but that kind of seems to be the assumption. Yeah. So he looks like a lottery guy. I think. It's, yeah. I mean, it's like probably, there's not really much gained by playing for him, right? No. So, so John Fendler, who's this betting guy on Twitter, uh, uh, he shares a lot of shot quality data from time to time. Mm. Um. I'm going to read a couple stats off for you. First two are from shot quality. Mm-hmm. Arkansas, 304th in offensive spacing, 320th in shot making. This, is the, this data is from Synergy. They are in mm. the first percentile, like bottom one percentile of all college basketball teams in jumper usage, mm-hmm. ninth percentile in jumper field goal percentage. That's why I can't take them seriously. So, I mean, like, yeah, Tennessee doesn't look very fun a lot of times, but they are capable of having a great shooting night. They're unafraid to shoot is the thing. Like, Tennessee might miss 12 of their 15 threes, but they're going to shoot. They're not going to be afraid of taking them. It leads to higher variance, but it gives you a greater chance of a lot of shots going in. Mm -hmm. Arkansas, by that same token, because they don't take threes and because they don't shoot jumpers, you might have, like, a higher bad offensive floor so to speak but your offensive ceiling is so limited that there's not much you can do against better teams 
Hmm. So Arkansas knows they can't shoot. They only take 27% of their shots from three, which is one of the lowest rates in all of America. Everyone who plays Arkansas knows they, or Arkansas, good God, knows they can't shoot. Uh, they face more zone defenses than 95% of college teams do. LSU, so this is an example from last night's game. LSU, nine possessions of zone all off, all, all season. Mm. They ran zone 25% of the time in their three-point win over Arkansas in a game where Arkansas shot horribly. And it's because Arkansas zone offense is in the 18th percentile in efficiency. Hmm. The like what I'm saying is like the path for them to win the SEC is just like you have to hope that the game reverts to 2009 and you can win a bunch of like 55 to 52 games. You have to hope you got the freaking TF 1000 on your court every night and the other opponent has never shot that ball before. I mean, if they had Nick Smith, would it be better? Likely. If they had Brazil, would it be better? Likely. But this is, I I mean, I like Musselman a lot as a coach, but I think he really blew it with the roster construction here of going for talent over fit. Hmm. Because there is a billion six foot eight, six foot nine, six foot ten guys on this team. None of them outside of Smith can shoot a basketball. Hmm. And that is a problem. Um is Kansas starting to get scary again, Will Warren as a contender? Yeah, probably. I mean So it goes for me to show how good Bill Self is that, you know, Tennessee and Wisconsin really revealed everything wrong without an offense in Atlantis. I think, Mm. you know, against Tennessee, they looked awful. Like Tennessee completely shut down everything Jalen Wilson wanted to do. Grady Dick couldn't get anything off. And the day Mm. before, Wisconsin, who was far worse athletes, did a lot of the same. And it's a month later and basically every major major offensive issue is fixed. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's an amazing turnaround despite adding no one to the roster and losing Pettiford. Well, they did add Bill Self back to the roster. Well, yeah, Bill Self came back. Well, no, Bill Self was in Atlantis. Yeah. So, but uh, I, I don't know if that's going to sustain itself. I still think the offense has a ceiling of finishing like 20th in Ken Palm. Mm-hmm. But given what it looked like a month ago, that's a success. They impressed me so much on defense uh, you saw a little bit of it against Tennessee and how many turnovers they forced, but mm. they you have to work really hard to score in these guys. Very active hands on defense. And the most impressive thing, Grady Dick looks a lot better on defense than he did in Atlantis. Uh, he had five steals against Indiana, was really active, really engaged. If he, if he is going to be that engaged all season long, they're going to win the Big 12, and they're going to have a real shot at being a one seed. Though, I mean... The, the, the biggest problem Kansas has, unfortunately, is that they play in the Big 12 because mm. you could be the third best team in America and lose six games in the Big 12 just because it's that good. I don't know if anybody's going to be a one seed out of the Big 12. Man. Um, I The Big 12 is just going to be a bloodbath. And also there is one just thing just out in the atmosphere that has not been made official what's going to happen with a certain head coach in the yeah. Big 12 conference that... Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say should not be the head coach of that Big 12 team anymore. Um, Especially when they've been playing like just fine without him. Well, that's not even like, <laughs> a, that doesn't even factor in for me. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, like just on a moral point. Yes. Um, Unnamed man should be released from his head coaching duties effective immediately without pay. And I, re- re- I would suggest folks read Dana O'Neill. Uh, on the mm-hmm. the coverage of this matter uh, for more questions and insight on said person. But but I, I, just, I just think yeah. 
to your point, sorry to interrupt, but like you have to resolve this soon, regard like mm. one way or the other. You cannot. I I think the worst thing Texas could do, and we'll get back on real basketball stuff, but after this is to let this linger into February, mm-hmm. because right now you are letting it linger into January, and that is bad for a team full of people who committed to that coach, who committed to play in this style of offense and defense for that coach. You have to tell them one way or the other what the outcome is going to be. The what this tells me that the longer this goes is he's coming back. Yeah. Is my guess is that he's coming back. Which I mean, <sighs> great I message. Don't like it. <laughs> um, but you know, because it's just sports. Uh, what what are my bar is so low and uh, mm-hmm. they did not reach that bar. Um, and it's Will also War- it's yeah. also not like you could just you know hire somebody else who's very good. It's a high paying mm-hmm. job. Yes, and I wonder too, like if this happens in the summer, or like do they make the move quick and then they're like, we can get someone else in there before they're like, oh, we think we might be able. To... The the cynical side of me is like, they see it as like, we can win the title this year. Yeah. Like this is a team good enough, and if we make this move, are we sacrificing a title? And you're like, this is gross. This should not be factoring into the equation. And this is all speculation on my part. But if I had to, if I had to, if I had to guess. Um, as to what's going on and why this is dragging out that would be my gut as to why that is Mm -hmm. um the 2022 2023 college basketball freshman class so far jeff brazella wrote a really good piece on espn.com kind of outlining who's been great and who has not um who among this list has stood out the most to you uh will warren i'm gonna give you my top five for the season so far so number one brandon miller i think that's pretty easy right Mm -hmm. like you obviously Wemby is going number one. Seems like Scoot Henderson is number two, and probably the Thompson twins three and four. Mm. Uh, it's going to be a very weird season where there's not really going to be a college presence until the fourth or fifth pick. Miller probably should be the fourth or fifth pick. Like he, we've saw it against Gonzaga. We've seen it in most games Alabama's played. This is a legit guy. Um, he has been a star for an Alabama team that's really needed it. Um, really enjoyed watching him play. Uh, Grady Dick, number two. Kyle Filipowski for Duke, number three. Bryce Sensabaugh for Ohio State. Hmm. Uh, Really, really great player. I have been deeply impressed by what he has done so far. Uh, Ohio State, frankly, has come in well above what I expected them to be. Like, they look like a legit top 20 team. Sensabaugh looks like the Big Ten freshman of the year. Um, Really impressed by them. And then Jairus Walker Hmm. at Houston. That, I mean... He's in a weird position where you're going to be like a lottery pick, but you're like what the third option on your team just because everyone else is so much older than you mm-hmm. and so much more experienced. But his commitment on defense is truly impressive, and he is very hard to stop at the rim. I, I think, you know, as he continues to blossom a bit as long as the year goes on, it's weird to say this about a team that's number one in Ken Palm and Torvik, but Houston's ceiling kind of gets that much larger, um, which is frightening. I, I would say sixth is probably Case and Wallace. Wallace mm. would be right in that periphery for me. Uh, I would give a shout out to Jordan Pope, um, who's been really good for the Beavs and the Beavers. When in more games, uh, this they, I think they've already doubled their win total than from uh, last year, uh, which is just... They were the worst Pac-12 team in basketball last year. And, mm. hey, they're at least a little bit better this year. And the Beavs, they get DJ Uangale 
uh, out of the portal. Five star from Clemson. Everything coming up. They win 10 games this year. Beat Florida down. Everything coming up. Beavers. Uh, the, the best thing to ever happen to them is Mark Fox being the head coach of California. <laughs> Oof. And also we should... Uh, Klingane is uh, fantastic for oh, yeah. UConn. Uh, we have to mention like he's changed their ceiling. If if he played more minutes, I think he would factor in more here. Mm. Uh, the, the it's 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 kind of a weird like Travion Williams Zach Eady situation where like either option is great, but you can't really play both at the same time between him and Sonogo. Mm. Uh, your craziest result in the last week in college basketball was which one? Well, they they've barely played any games this week. Yeah. We already kind of went over Kentucky, but I'm going to go back to last Wednesday because there are two amazing ones that happened. Um, so obviously, we have to talk about Eastern Illinois, 31 point, 31 and a half point underdogs beating mm-hmm. Iowa. So as far as we know, and I looked into this on my own time, mm-hmm. Jared Burson, who's formerly at ESPN Stats and Info, did as well. We cannot find a larger point spread upset in modern college basketball history than that. Whew. And it, it would be one thing if Iowa just sort of got shooting variants out of the building but mm. like eastern illinois set a program record for dunks in that game mm. with eight they were completely dominating at the rim uh really really scary loss for iowa i mean i would be shocked if anybody has a worse loss this season that, that that's as bad as it gets for a team that wants to make the ncaa tournament because eastern illinois entered that game one and nine against division one teams not just good ones any division one team um Mm. and then my favorite result of the year san francisco 97 arizona state 60 good riddance oh my goodness good riddance get the haters ball will warren he loves dan hurley could not he could not sell any more stock on bobby hurley just Uh, out out on them but that being said i think they've got a real shot to beat arizona on saturday that's gonna Mm. that's a very advantageous situation where they've got 10 days of rest Arizona's already had one road loss in Pac-12 play. Would not be shocked at all to see ASU win that one. What time is that game? Uh, great question. Let's find out. Uh, I think the ultimate result for them is Arizona State beating Arizona and then immediately losing two home games in a row to Washington State and Washington. That feels mm-hmm. very spot on. I could see uh, Will Warren just ending his day with Michigan winning uh, the college ball playoff game earlier with TCU, and then he's just got his hot cocoa and snuggled up with his weighted blanket, and he's like, all right, time (laughs) to end my evening with a nice Arizona State loss over Arizona uh, to end it, just because I picked them to win, and this would be the most Arizona State thing to do. Yes. Uh, That one is at 2 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Mm. By the way, tremendous matchup. Arizona number one in two point percentage. Arizona mm. State number two in defensive two point percentage. Very rare you get one of those in the middle of the season. I like it. Uh, Will, we'll end on this. Your stat of the week is what, sir? So, this is going to cover something we've already talked about, but let's play a little game here. So, I've got mm. the net rankings in front of me. So, these are today's December 29th. Uh, I've got five teams I'm looking at in particular, and I want you to tell me. How many of the following teams rank ahead of Kentucky in net? And the teams are Florida Atlantic, Sam Houston State, Kansas State, Creighton, and Northwestern. Uh, Sam Houston State. Mm -hmm. Kansas State. 
How many do I need? It's just how many of those five are ahead of UK. Okay, I got those two. And who are the other three? Uh, FAU, uh-huh. Creighton, Northwestern. And I'll just say Creighton. That's it. The answer is all five are ahead of Kentucky. Is Northwestern really ahead of Kentucky? They are 38th and Kentucky is 40th. Um, FAU actually number one uh, among this group at 13th. They've wow. Had a, Dusty May, man. Dusty May, that is a name to watch. The best thing about Mike White, by the way, is that every single one of his assistants are doing better than him. Man. Uh, Dusty May at FAU. Jordan Mincy at Jacksonville, a name to watch. Both mm. really young guys. Um but yeah, uh, that's what we're kind of looking at with UK. If the season ended today, there would be about a 10 or 11 seed. And, hmm. you know, you prefer to not say uncharted territory, given that they've missed the tournament twice under Cal. But this would be, so they're 28th on Torvik right now. That would be their third lowest ranking ever posted in a full season ahead of those two times they missed the big dance. So, you know, we talk a lot about like, oh, UK is going to figure it out. And I still think they will to some extent, but... This is a deeper hole to dig out of than they've had to dig out of, dig out of in quite some time. I like it. Uh, Will, what can the good folks check out from you over at statsbywill.substack.com? Subscribe today. It's the mm-hmm. best. Uh, $5. Five, I want to say five. Five dollars yeah, a month. Yeah, five a month. Yeah. Or 30 for a full season. Mm. The the thing, if so I will say on here, if you're a five a month subscriber, once it hits like your sixth or seventh month, I just give it, turn it to a free one for the next six months. So it's $30 either way. Uh, I don't like when chart sites charge less for the yearly per month mm. versus the monthly. It should just be the same. Just for go. consistency's sake. But anyway... Uh, always Tennessee stuff on there. I, on the advice of a media member, am going to introduce SEC Weekly next week, where mm-hmm. we go through like what happened, the SEC power rankings, who's leading the player of the year race, stuff like that. Um, probably one breakdown each week of like an offense or a defense. And then to go with that, if you're a new subscriber this week, you get a literal, literal 7,000 word article on how each conference stands as we enter conference play. And then uh, Friday, December 30th, a 2,500-word piece on the national landscape in both men's and women's hoops as we enter the new year. Which teams are the title favorites? Who's next in line? Uh, Spoiler for the women's section, South Carolina is going to house everybody this year. Those ladies are built different. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Will, thank you as always, my friend. Uh, Happy New Year to you and yours. And uh, I'm excited for what all is uh, on the docket for us in 2023. Sounds crazy to say 2023. Are you you hitting everybody in this podcast with talk to you in 2023 or talk to you next year or some variation of that? Because that happened on three separate calls at my day job today. I, I can't do it. No, I, uh, I, I don't do it either. But I am simply reporting the uh, what the populace has opted for. Not surprising. Not surprising. Um, will, I will talk to you in 2023. See, it doesn't talk feel to you next year. Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Bye, Will. Bye. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. 
To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, Mm -hmm. you're um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.